Welcome to another episode of the Just Get Started podcast. I'm your host, Brian Andreco, and thanks again for being a part of this journey where we talk with people who are trying to live their most fulfilling life, which often tends to be on a much different path than it started out on. Whether it was changing careers, getting laid off from a job which sparked their entrepreneurial journey, or breaking through the noise to answer their calling. All of these types of situations and more, but they wouldn't have gotten to where they're at today if they didn't get started. We talk about the why and the how of these getting started moments and the lessons learned along the way. I'm grateful to have you listening in along on this episode, so let's get it started. On this week's episode, please welcome in Dr. Christian Bush, who is the author of The Serendipity Mindset and professor at New York University. Let me give you a quick background on Dr. Bush before we jump into the episode. Professor Dr. Christian Bush is one of the world's leading experts on innovation, purpose-driven leadership, and cultivating serendipity. He directs the CGA Global Economy Program at New York University and also teaches at the London School of Economics. Previously, he co-directed the LSE's Innovation Lab and co-founded the Sandbox Network, a global community of young innovators, as well as Leaders on Purpose, an organization convening Fortune 500 CEOs. He is a member of the World Economic Forum's Expert Forum, a fellow of the Royal Society of Arts, and among Diplomatic Courier's Top 99 Influencers and the Thinkers 50 radar list of 30 thinkers most likely to shape the future. Christian's best-selling book, The Serendipity Mindset, has has been highlighted by many folks, um, such as like Ariana Huffington that said it's a wise, exciting, and life-changing book. Uh, Daniel Pink, Bracing and Hopeful Antidote to a World Addicted to Efficiency and Control, and Paul Pullman, It Offers Practical Guidance for All. Um, He was also featured on platforms such as the BBC, Harvard Business Review, and Forbes. His research has been published in world-leading journals such as the Strategic Management Journal, and he regularly speaks at at conferences such as TED, TEDx, World Economic Forum, and Financial Times Sustainability Summit. And we shape a lot of our discussion today around serendipity. We go on some tangents as usual, but serendipity is their main focus. And something I talk a lot about in this podcast, something I know is so important to all of our different um, journeys uh, throughout life. And uh, he shares a lot of great insight and research behind that. So I hope you all enjoy this conversation. Without further ado, please welcome in Dr. Christian Bush. Christian, welcome to the podcast. Glad to have you today. Thanks so much for having me. You know, when I came across you here and, and looked at some of the stuff you're doing, you know, one of the, the big words that popped out was serendipity. Uh, and I see your book behind you there um, that you had wrote. I want to get into that a lot because serendipity is something I've always talked about a lot. And I think it's such a big part of kind of where we get to on our journey and how we get to different spots. So it's interesting that you've kind of gone deep into that with your work and wrote a book about it and everything. So um, I guess we'll start there and, and then maybe we can layer in, you can layer in some different stories on that. But I, I guess what sparked you before we get into why serendipity is important, I, I guess let's go back to just the inception. Like when did you decide or realize like, this is interesting. This is a path I want to go down to explore this topic. Is there, do you remember, was there like a turning point that it was like, like an aha moment about serendipity? Well, it definitely was a couple of serendipitous moments uh, after another that, that somehow led to it. I mean, I, 
you know, it, it really started out, I guess, you know, I used to be this kid in, in high school who was kicked out of school. I had to repeat a year, um, transferred this into my driving style, you know, probably held the inofficial world record of how many dustbins or, or uh, trash cans you can knock over on your way to school when you're driving. And then, you know, one day I wasn't so lucky anymore, smashed into four-part cars and all were completely destroyed. And I won't forget the policeman who came to the scene. And he was like, oh, my God, he's still alive. And, you know, this idea that I was supposed to be dead, like that stuck with me. And I asked myself all these weird questions, you know, if I would have died, who would have come to my funeral? Was it all worth it? What did I do in my life so far? And only had depressing answers uh, at, at that point. And so I started reading this amazing book um, that I actually reread last year when, when I had COVID, uh, Viktor Frankl's uh, Man's Search for Meaning. And it's all about that question of how do we find meaning in crisis? How do we find meaning in the most adverse of situations? And you know, I read it and what I realized is what gives me a lot of meaning is connecting ideas, connecting people and, and, and that spark that comes from doing that. And so, you know, I went into community building and entrepreneurship and then research. And what I realized is the most inspiring, successful, purpose-driven people around me, they seem to have something in common, which is that they somehow intuitively cultivate serendipity. They see something the unexpected and then they somehow connect the dots and turn that into positive outcomes. And so I got really excited about this both because I saw it with so many people around me, but also because to me it's become a philosophy of life and a, and a daily practice. That you know, there's a couple of things I'm doing and, and people around me are doing where serendipity just tends to happen so often that I just got really excited about the question: Hey, is there like a science-based framework behind this? Can we somehow take this and then really enable everyone around the world to, uh, in a way, train their serendipity muscle around it? Mm. Do you? Do you say that serendipity and luck are the same thing, or are those different avenues? What, what, what's your what's the relationship there? It's a great question because to me, there's a big difference between the blind luck that just happens to us, right? Like being born into a loving family. As far as I know, there's no real way we can influence that as, as the kid who's, who's being born. But there's serendipity as smart luck, as as the kind of skilled luck that's about the luck we can create ourselves. And so that's really about saying, you know. Uh, take the quintessential example um, of, you know, imagine you're in a coffee shop and if you have erratic hand movements like I do, you spill a coffee over someone and imagine you you somehow, you know, that person looks up and you somehow sense there might be something there. You don't know what it is. You just sense something in that situation. And now you have a couple of options, right? Option number one is you just say, I'm so sorry. Here's a napkin. You walk outside and you think, ah, what could have happened had I spoken with that person? Option number two start a conversation and that person ends up to, you know, become your investor, the love of your life, you name it. The point here is that our reaction to that unexpected moment, our connecting the dots in that moment and doing something with it led to that serendipitous outcome versus it could also not have happened. And if you think about, you know, up to 50% of uh, innovations and inventions in history emerged like this, right? Like Viagra was essentially where you had researchers giving people another medication against angina and realizing kind of some type of movement happening in male participants' trousers. And that's unexpected, right? But instead of just saying, oh, that's so embarrassing, like, let's ignore this, they did the opposite. They said, you know what, that's unexpected, but a lot of men in the world might have a problem in that department. So why don't we connect the dots and, you know, do a medication that actually helps them with erectile dysfunction? The point here is that serendipity is about that smart luck where we see something in the unexpected and then connect the dots. And that then kind of leads to these unexpected positive outcomes. And, and that's, pro- I'm trying to just 
think out loud here. Is that different? So let's use your coffee shop example. If I don't approach that person for whatever reason, but I, and I decide, and maybe they're not, you know, what could happen if I approach them and I, and maybe I make something up my head, I go the other direction. I'm none the wiser though, what, that what could happen because all, because you know, it's one of those things like, what if, I'll give a weird example on thinking with a coffee shop. Like if I leave there and I happen to go to, then I'm going to a store next door and I happen to run into someone there. And it's almost like, well, if I talk with the person, in the coffee shop, I would never would have met, you know, I, I guess what I'm saying is how does the, is, is a lot of this around mindset of like just creating those opportunities for ourselves. You're talking about, I think, seeing kind of almost like the, the light at the end of the tunnel in some of these situations. Uh, any, any chance to go a little deeper on that? Maybe just because I, I like to get really off tangent, I guess, on some of this stuff. So I, it's cool to talk about. Yeah, I love it. And I think you hit on two um, extremely important points, right? One is the idea that there's so much potentiality out there that, you know, there, there's certainly everywhere, but most of the times we miss it, right? We don't see it. And to your point, we might have certainly happen somewhere which then might actually preclude us from having something else happen somewhere, right? So there's a lot of kind of counterfactuals of what could have happened. But the point really is, and, and that's really, the, the I think, at the core of, of what we're talking about, is the importance of how we look at life and how we frame life in a way presupposes a lot of how much serendipity we can have in our life. So to give an example, um, they did an amazing experiment where they took people who self-identify as lucky, so people who say, good things tend to happen to me, and then people who self-identify as very unlucky. So people who say, I'm always an accident, I, I'm so unlucky. And then they pick two of these and they say, walk down the street, go into a coffee shop, grab a coffee, sit down, and then we'll have our interview for, for the research. What they don't tell them is that there's hidden cameras along the street and inside the coffee shop. There's a five-pound note, so money, in front of the coffee shop. And inside the coffee shop, there's the table, you know, the one chair that's empty, is next to this extremely successful businessman who can make big dreams happen. Now, the lucky person walks down the street, sees the five-pound note, picks it up, goes inside the shop, orders the coffee, sits next to the businessman, has a great conversation, they exchange business cards, potential opportunity coming out of it, we don't know that. Now, the unlucky person walks down the street, steps over the five-pound note, so doesn't see it, goes inside, orders the coffee, sits next to the businessman, uh, ignores the businessman and that's that. Now, at the end of the day, they ask both people who faced exactly the same situation, how was your day today? And so the lucky person says, well, it was amazing. I found money in the street. I made a new friend and, you know, potentially an opportunity coming up. Now, the unlucky person just says, well, nothing really happened. And we all know those people in our lives, right, who face exactly the same situation, mm -hmm. right? Let's say a couple that has the same friends, they're co-founders in the company, but one seems to be a little bit more lucky than the other. And so that's really a fascination of mine in terms of how do we develop the mindset that allows us to have more of that happen. And, you know, I, I'm a closet introvert, so I am especially interested in those kind of things that people like us who don't necessarily always want to talk with people, want to be at every event, where are the calm sources of serendipity? Like in this example, right, it's a simple one where just, you know, I tend to find money in the street and, and right. people around me tend to see because people drop surprising, like, high amounts of money in the street, right? Because yeah. imagine how, how um, the point here is that a lot of times, you know, it's about, hey, let me take another route to work in the morning and actually look into the bookstore when I walk by and see this book that, you know, and I'm like, oh, I haven't thought about this for years. Like, maybe this should be a podcast, right? The point here is that 
we can in silent sources and con sources, a lot of times that's where the serendipity is rather than in the kind of, you know, I have to speak with this person, which in this case also leads to serendipity, right? With a businessman, but it doesn't have to only be those kind of situations. Yeah. And I, I think you're right on point there is being able to, it's that, and, and probably well, we'll get into this a little bit, why you're, you know, you titled your book a certain way, um, you know, and it's about mindset. It's about how you think about it and, and going having that positive mindset, you know, that, Hey, there is an opportunity here. I don't know what it's going to be. You know, it's like going to a cocktail party. Some, some people are like, ah, I got to go there. I got others are like, you know, Hey, I might meet someone here. I've never met or might have an interesting conversation. And yeah, maybe that leads to the next thing and so on and so forth. We don't know that, but if we take the negative mindset on it, I'm assuming you'll agree you're almost precluded from not even having, if that's even the right term, you're, you're almost not going to have that opportunity to meet someone because you've already put it in your head that it's not going to happen. Right. Um, what, so I guess we'll go into that a little bit is how much of this then, cause you, you wrote the book, you named it the serendipity mindset. I mean, is this all just perspective? Is that the big, is perspective really, uh, the, the big breaking point of whether serendipity happens to us, or at least we know it happened to us and it doesn't? Is that is that the split in the road? It's definitely one core aspect. And I'll, I'll, I'll give an example in a second of how really we can see that also in a lot of our work in terms of how people, the way we frame the world, the way they approach the world, how much influence that has. But also, you know, a lot of it and mindset really in the broadest sense of the word, right? In the sense of what is something, the way I look at the world, but also more broadly, what's the philosophy of life? What's, what, like, how do we approach life in, in general, right? And I think what's the exciting thing um, uh, in, in this regard is that serendipity is both about imbuing meaning in those kind of accidents, right? So it's about making accidents meaningful, but mm-hmm. it's also about creating meaningful accidents. And that's actually where it gets really exciting because the first one that's, I think what we talked a little bit about, and we'll talk more about, you know, how do I reframe a situation into something that could be positive and so on. But the second one is a lot around how do we also seed serendipity? How do we cast hooks out there so that serendipity can happen more often? And so give you an example. A uh, good friend of mine who's a wonderful entrepreneur in London uh, called Oli Barrett. Um, you know, if you would ask him this dreaded question that you get everywhere you go, what do you do, right? Which puts you into a box. Mm-hmm. He wouldn't just say, I'm a technology entrepreneur. He would say, I'm a technology entrepreneur, recently started reading into the philosophy of science, but what I'm really excited about is playing the piano. And so what he's doing here is he's giving you three potential hooks where you could be like, oh my God, such a coincidence. I am hosting Piano Martinez, you should come by. Oh my God, such a coincidence. My sister is teaching on the philosophy of science, you should give a guest lecture. The point here is that we can, in every situation, in every conversation, in every interaction, we can see the couple of interesting things where we just give the other person the opportunity to pick it up. They don't have to, but that's what we do. And that's in a way what every good salesperson in general does, right? That, that it, what you're doing is you don't try to pitch someone. You don't try to say, I'm a technology entrepreneur. This is my product and you should buy it. But you're saying, hey, this is the opportunity space here. And, and, and you pick whatever you feel makes most sense to you. And so what I'm a big fan of actually is a serendipity journal of writing down what are the key themes in your life at the moment that you want to cast hooks for? So in my case, for example, you know, I want to take this mindset into curricula, into, into companies, into, you know, really scaling it up. And so in every conversation, I try to seat that in some place. And, you know, most of the time, nobody picks it up, right? But at some point, then, if you do that a couple of times with three or four themes, someone would be like, oh, my God, such a coincidence. 
we just started a new school, like you should come and do X with that for the curriculum. So I'm a big fan of really thinking about how do we cast hooks out there? How do we feed serendipity triggers so that other people can connect the dots for us? And I think that's where, where the excitement happens. But um, so to your point, I think it's mindset in the broadest sense of the word of how do we navigate the world in a way that somehow creates serendipity, but also then, and we can talk more about this as well, how do we enable others to create that more? Yeah, and, and let's go down that path a little bit if, if we're on the same page is how much is it, you know, we talk about the comfort zone, right? And, I, and I'm a big believer that, you know, we we all kind of live or a lot of us maybe in this kind of semi-happiness because we're scared of that big layer of discomfort. But actually, I think the layer, you know, you're seeing on the screen was like this big, but I think it's actually really minute. I think that the discomfort, we can get over that. You know, if it's like going to a networking event we've never been to, stuff like that. But it's just putting ourselves in that situation. So I guess my long-winded way around this to ask is how much of it is about not just putting us in situations that, you know, we feel like are comfortable, but really getting outside the box and doing something that we may not have. Like for me as an example, although I guess, you know, I'm big into fitness and nutrition and you know, that's a big part of my life. I started to go to hot yoga recently just here and there. Cause I'm, I mean, and I'm, I'm trying to create new opportunities, new connections with people, stuff like that. Now that's a little outside my comfort zone. Um, but I'm like, you know what, this could create some of those serendipitous moments you're talking about, but how much it is, is it about trying things that are so off the wall versus, you know, stuff that's in your wheelhouse? It's interesting. Cause I, I'm a big fan actually of exactly those kind of, you know, approaches in terms of how do you, how do you make sure that you live, not necessarily up to your potential in life, but that you feel when you're on your deathbed, right? That comes back to the whole Victor Frankl thing. Mm -hmm. When you're on your deathbed, right? You don't want to have the regret of saying, ah, I wish I had done X, Y, Z, but I never felt I did. That's kind of like, in a way, the worst thing that can happen to you, that you're mm -hmm. that you're lying there and you felt, oh, because of social norm X, Y, Z, I never did X, Y, Z, right? Or I never, whatever. And 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 I'm a big fan there of Mark Twain, actually, who who had this idea, right, that in a way you will regret the things you haven't done and, and not necessarily the things that you have done. And so it's really this kind of, how do you, how do you allow yourself to do that? And I'm a big fan of, of a, you know, overcoming the fear of rejection, because I think that's a lot of times behind a lot of this, right. That we're saying, Oh, I don't want to try hot yoga because, or not necessarily fear of rejection only, but also fear of, you know, fear of failure, like all these different types of fears that are all about saying, I'm not good enough. I'm not, I'm, I, I can't do this, or this is a statement about myself now if I get rejected versus this is just how the world works. And so it's, it's kind of, um, I'm a big fan then of, of getting used to rejection by at every stage in our life, for example, applying to everything that still could be something interesting out there being that, I don't know, like, you know, if you're working in an IT company, but you always wanted to write a book, well, why not? Like write a proposal and send it to literally every agent in the city, right? Like what's the worst thing that could happen? That they all say no, but that's exactly where you would be uh, given that you have some time for it um, um, if, then, than if you wouldn't do it. And so really getting used to this idea that it's normal to get rejected all the time. It's normal to not be perfect when you try a new thing and so on. And there I'm, I'm a big fan of this whole, um, there's these 90-day experiments, for example, where the idea is if you have your portfolio of things and you have your, let's say, a fixed job or something, can you put small items here where, to your point, right? In your case, it was the hot yoga. Maybe for others, it's traveling to another city and making three new friends, whatever it is. But really this idea of like small experiments that don't, quote unquote, cost you a lot and that don't make you risk anything big. 
but they give you something that could potentially lead you into a direction that makes your life even better. And I think that's where it gets really exciting because especially during times like these, right, where I feel like we all um, have our joy a little bit more diminished through all the stuff that goes on. I think that's a huge like joy bringer to, to have these new things where you were like, oh, my God, every day something new could happen that could potentially, you know, change my life. Well, and it's even like, you know, I think of simple stuff, you know, like for me, I'm always a, and maybe it's because I like to observe the rooms. Like I'm a, you're going to find me in a classroom in the, in the last row. I'm going to, I'm going to sit in the back just because I like to observe and kind of see, you know, and some folks are maybe the opposite, but even in that simple example, it's like, you know what, go sit in the front row your next time, you know, and maybe, maybe people, I guess are in college or in classes or whatever, but this could be anything. This could be at a, a networking event, sit at the front table, et cetera. Um, it doesn't have to be, as you're saying, these monumental changes. It can be very incremental, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's, you know, one of the things that, that I found very interesting when, you know, seeing who responds how to doing the work for actually developing a muscle for the unexpected in a way and, and developing that mindset. And it's interesting because I feel, you know, there's people like us who intuitively resonate with that kind of way of life. And then it's more about, hey, what are tactical things I can do more of so that I have more of this happen? So it's not about the philosophy itself. It's more about, hey, great, like this is what I can do more of or I can do differently or less of. But then there's people, you know, I remember, um, so I, I, I lived in the UK for a long time and one of my colleagues back there, um, uh, you know, he, he when I started writing the book, he was like, Christian, like, I love you. I love everything you do. But, you know, I don't need more serendipity in my life. I have a good life. Like I... I had like, I don't need it. And so we made a deal and we said, you know what, just do two or three small things, you know, like ask one different question when you're at the next dinner with the other colleagues that is slightly different, that leads you, you know, into more what they are really excited about, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And then let's reconnect in a month and let's just, you know, let's, let's just talk about it. He comes back after a couple of weeks and he's like, Christian, I didn't know life can be so joyful. And, you know, the key thing here really was that it wasn't about convincing him about the big shift in mindset and everything else. It was really to your point about small behavioral changes that then in a way show you, oh, there's more out there than I thought I, that there could be out there. And, oh, I don't have to change for this. I don't have to be a new person. It's more that I do a couple of things slightly different that help me to, to do that. And then actually I can do the real work, right? To me, a lot of the real world comes with uh, overcoming self-limiting beliefs that come mm -hmm. to, you know, overcoming the imposter that's in, in all of us, right? The, the, those kind of things. But I think the first small steps are really, hey, you know, ask a couple of questions differently, um, you know, cast a couple of hooks from time to time, those things that are extremely easy to do, but they change every conversation. They, to your point, I love this, what you said, right? Like if you sit in the first row and the teacher now is like, oh my God, I haven't seen this person. Maybe they could do the next assignment for me in XYZ research project. And that is how you get your PhD then, right? Like it, the point is like your PhD opportunity. So the point is that in a way, those small shifts, they're small and a lot of times they don't do anything, but they make it much more likely that if you do that more often, that something really interesting will happen. Yeah. And, you know, I think about it um, and I'll just give an example for everyone listening in because, uh, you know, just to make it real for you, what you're saying, small incremental, like, you know, obviously I've been fortunate, you know, to have whatever I've done over 170 of these things as we're recording um, in terms of interviews and, and loved every minute of it. But I remember one distinctly, and, and there's a variety of stories I could share, but one was, you know, having Seth Godin on the podcast. And a lot of people know who Seth Godin is, right? And I emailed him out of the blue. 
And he responded in like 10 minutes. Now I can look back and say, if I don't, you know, cause, cause that was like, you know, he's someone that I've kind of, uh, I followed for many years and, and love his writing and everything like that. If I don't just send what ended up being probably a, you know, a 30 second to 60 second, you know, writing of the email, maybe, maybe a minute or, or two longer. But if I don't send that out, I don't get him on the podcast that creates other opportunities and, and some other stuff that I end up doing because of that. It's just amazing how just that one simple act turned into, you know, and he, and he could have not got back to me like other people haven't. And that's fine. I would have been none the wiser. Um, but it's, it's just one of those small little things. It doesn't have to be monumental going back to. So um, anyways, I thought I'd share that the uh, you, how much of that, what you're saying is the science that, cause you talk about the art and science of creating good luck is the science side. Then what you're saying, the, give yourself these opportunities, put these in, or is that the art side? Give me a, give me a little back and forth on, on what those are or how you can think about that. Yeah, absolutely. And I loved what you just said about that email to, to Seth Godin, right? Because I feel one thing that I do a lot, especially with, with, with my students here is to say, rather than aiming for something that seems close, right? So, oh, I think I can get a podcast interview with the amazing professor here in my department, I'm aiming for the top 10 most inspiring people out there. And if I do, if I send 20 emails to, to, to 20 inspiring people, one of them at some point will say yes, right? So yes, you will get 19 rejections, but one of them will probably say, oh, hey, you know what? I just had an hour free here. And anyways, I wanted to connect with, with X, Y, Z person. And I love young people. So I should, I should do that, right? So mm -hmm. the point is that um, I feel... I've always been surprised about how accessible, especially extremely interesting people are if it's with the right hook, right? If it's with the mm -hmm. right kind of thing or if it just coincidentally fits into where they are in their life at the moment. You know, a lot of CEOs, for example, who just retired, right? And they're like searching for something new. And so they are the kind of people, like if you reach the CEO of MasterCard when he just kind of resigned from his position and he's kind of like in this exploration phase, like that's the kind of point where you can get like a hook in, right? Versus like if 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 there's someone who, uh, who who's in the trenches, right? Then then that's less likely. So long story short, I'm a big fan of these speculative kind of things, speculative emails, LinkedIn second degree things, right? So easy to have. If you have a thousand contacts on LinkedIn, they all have a thousand other people. You can send them a direct email, right? All these other contacts mm -hmm. that are not your contacts. So you can literally get the email and the contact of almost everyone. In, in, in this world, which is which is amazing, no? So you can really um, put put that out there. Um, but to your question, I think so. That's that's a lot of actually around the art also. That that a lot of this is just you know by definition we can't know the outcome of these things. We we just have to put a bit of stuff out there and, and trust our intuition a little bit. Of hey look, this seems like it could work because that person seems to just have retired, and so maybe mm -hmm. that that's a good sign. The science really comes in. And that's, I think, what, what the really exciting thing is that we all have a serendipity story. And to me, that was always the art piece that I feel it's a beautiful painting, right? Everyone has a beautiful painting in them. And that painting a lot of time came like from very serendipitous kind of um, um, sources. The science really comes in um, when looking at serendipity as a process in terms of saying serendipity is, is always the same thing. There's always some kind of trigger, right? So it might be the movement in male participants' trousers when the, you give them that medication, it might be bumping into someone at a conference, that kind of random moment. And that random moment, though, now requires like that kind of connecting dots, like doing something with it. And it also then requires the tenacity to actually go through with it. And it's not enough to just 
that uh, Govan told you, great, I want to come on your podcast. Like you actually have to follow up. You have to, mm-hmm. you know, build, build it. And so the point is now you have these three steps that that's always the same process. No matter which serendipity uh, you look at, it's always this kind of trigger that happens. You connect the dots and then you have to have the tenacity most of the times to go through with it. The beauty now is that you can take each of these three aspects and you can work on them. You can, you know, create more of these triggers, right? We talked about a couple of ideas where you can cast hooks and stuff. You can look at the kind of connecting dots. You can train yourself to get better at connecting dots. So for example, um, you know, in every conversation thinking about, oh, I want to make more one introduction for this person. Or I want to uh, think about one idea that relates to whatever the person tells me about. And the more we train ourselves, the more we make these connections. First, like very, you know, it feels a bit more forced, but then actually you're getting into it naturally that you always look for links and always look for analogies and these kind of things. And then tenacity, right? We can we can train grit, we can train perseverance, we can train these kind of things that really help us to go through with it. Um, but more importantly, also that help us to at some point understand what are the filters. Like, how do I not get overwhelmed by you know serendipity, but also how do I learn how to develop my north star that helps me to connect them to the relevant things versus uh, to those things that that uh, don't matter too much. And so the science really is to say, once we configure it as a process, we can influence that process and then um, do a lot around this. Yeah. I'm I'm concerned with a lot of, again, I look at this because I look where I was around the complacency of like, yeah, I just, it, it will go kind of back kind of the starting of our conversation. Like, well, yeah, I don't really want to do that. Or I'm not going to add, you know, the coffee shop example, I'm not going to ask that person. It's just that going back to like really stepping outside and giving yourself a kick in the pants and say, let me try. I would never have done this before. And who, you know, it was like when I was younger, man, I, I had no confidence. And I remember like trying to ask out girls was the worst, literally the worst thing in the world. Or it's like, what would have happened if I asked that person out? You know, you never know. But it's just amazing just how much confidence, if, if you have confidence, it seems like these things are easy or easier. But I think you'd mentioned around rejection. If we fear the unknown, it's going to be a lot harder to take the step. So would your encouragement be like, I guess if you were challenging everyone listening in, would it be just to go out like today, do like one small little random act or w- w- how, how would you kind of challenge someone if, you, if you're, I'll put it back on you to kind of say what might be best. Yeah. Um, two things. I mean, first to, to your, to initial point, I think what I find fascinating around this is once you reframe it away from the fear of what could happen uh, you know, we all think about the worst case, right? You mentioned, right? The worst case of talking with this wonderful person who could become our our husband or our wife um, or, you know, the fear of the investor, the big guy investor whom we, you know, oh, they could say no when we try to tell them about our ideas. But then reframing that towards, okay, but maybe the worst thing that can happen is that you now think about what could have happened, right? Like it's the worst thing. Like when you come out of this coffee shop and this nagging feeling of, ah, what could have happened had mm-hmm. I spoken with this person? So much worse than if that person would just have said, I'm so sorry, I have to run outside now and that's it, right? It feels bad for a second, but you forget that after like a couple of hours versus the nagging thing might come back from time to time, right? So so I feel the first one is really around the reframing away from what's the worst thing that could happen as a direct thing from this conversation versus what is the worst thing that can happen when I think back in a few days and I think, you know, oh, I, I, I missed out on something or, or whatever it is. But second then, um, I'm a big fan of these kind of small type of, um, you know, 
I don't know if it's, if it's even a challenge, but it's really just kind of small steps. Like, you know, let's say you're on a Zoom conference um, uh, and, you know, there's 20 people from, from across all areas asking one question where you just build in two or three hooks and just see what happens in the private chat where people might be like, oh, my God, I didn't even know you work on this. Let me send you a couple of things there. And then that X, Y, Z interesting thing comes up. The point here is it's small things like this. Um, you know, or in the next conversation with a colleague who, you know, we dread it because we always talk about the same stuff and so on. One different question, you know, one different question around, hey, look, what, like, what, what are you, whatever it is, what are you, if you know the person better, like what inspires you at the moment, if you know them not so well, like, is there something that, you know, um, 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 I'm, I'm a big fan to ask people, like, what is it that at the moment kind of like you focus most on your time on? when you're not focused on this kind of work stuff, whatever it is, just something that mm -hmm. gives you a little bit more of an insight into what that person's up to. And actually then we connect very different with that person, right? We don't see that person as just that kind of like, oh, I have to talk with that person, but oh, hey, actually that person's really interesting. And you know, to give an example, a lot of people will be on holidays at the moment, right? And uh, we might think that when we go into this fishing village, we don't have a lot in common with that fisherman and we might not want to talk with that fisherman because we feel, oh, there's, what do we have to talk about? But I think like then thinking about what is it that we could have in common in terms of, is there something, you know, asking them about their family and then they will say, oh, my, my father died three weeks ago of, of X, Y, Z. And then we can say, oh my God, like I, I had like, I lost X, Y, Z person in my family and oh my God. And, and we connect on this transition element or we connect on this idea that we are all somehow trying to figure out what life is all about, whatever it is. The point is with everyone, we have amazing common denominators once we actually allow ourselves to have those. And so I, I would really challenge everyone to always think whoever is in front of us, is there something in there that we could have in common? Like when we walk by the homeless person and we have a conversation with that person, we might learn that surprisingly they used to be a banker at Goldman Sachs two weeks ago. Um, and then unexpectedly XYZ, like cancer happened in their family and now they ended up on the street. And 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 then we, as the Goldman banker, were like, oh my God, yeah, like, hey, this could happen to me tomorrow. So the point is, it, it's really about trying to understand, like, what is the potential common denominator here? And then using every conversation doing that. And so I would really say, like, the next conversation you have, what is one question you can ask differently? What's one kind of thing you could connect differently with that person? Mm. How much did the knowing serendipity and creating these moments go to like to actually making yourself write a book because I know the challenges of you know like I'm writing I'm probably like two other projects besides my second children's book but like even getting my first children's book out was like there was a lot of lot of like challenge of just thinking I could do it and all this other crap that goes into it but I'm curious so I'm curious of like did you get stuck writing your book and just had to keep convincing yourself like once I put this out there, there's a lot of things that could happen. I could help a lot of people. Like, can you share just a little bit about that journey of writing? Because I know it's always unique to everyone. Yeah. Well, then I had a, a, a huge kind of self-limiting belief. I mean, I, for a very long time, had that feeling of, oh, I'm not ready for writing it. I'm not ready for putting it out there. I'm not ready to be so vulnerable because a lot of it in the book also is about like linking it a little bit to personal story and to to some of the things we talked about in, in terms of how I found meaning in a way in crises. And, and now again, you know, the, like for, for the paperback, for example, we did an additional chapter now around COVID and, and how, you know, the COVID experience I had last year, it was essentially, I had COVID a severe form, almost died. And, uh, you know, in that 
like time it was like it felt like oh my god life is over and i certainly for a couple of days and weeks didn't practice you know the kind of serendipity mindset to how i would ideally want to practice and then essentially what happened is i got back into that question okay how can i now see meaning in this in some way and how can i is there something in there and what i realized is what you know what i was lacking at that point is to really think about like my deeper relationship with one significant other person versus like being out there and like doing a lot of cool stuff, but like in a way, not really prioritizing kind of creating a family at some point and questions like this. And with that kind of mindset, then, you know, I, 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 I reconnected with an old friend of mine who I had known for, for 12 years and um, we reconnected and she's my wife now. We're, you know, expecting a child. And, and so it's kind of like, it was that moment of, um, oh, there's there's some kind of meaning in there. But again, it felt very vulnerable to write about this because it's kind of like, wow, that's such a personal thing to, to have it here. And so I feel like that in those moments of trying to bring something into that book that feels like this is me and like everyone who now talks about the book in a way talks about my identity because it's so related to my identity. It's so related to everything that, that I stand for. So that everything stings that somehow... Um, you know, like is 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 um, might might be, and and I think that was the kind of thing I had to overcome the most in terms of saying, hey, look, you know, similar to what we talked about, imposter syndrome and everything else. Um, I feel, you know, this is content I feel very like strongly about. Um, but then, like bringing myself into the story, I felt I felt that was difficult. But so what helped me a lot in in that process um, was really this idea of, you know, if when I will be on my deathbed what would I regret the most? And I would have regretted not writing this book. I would have regretted um, not making it as um, not only insightful, but also hopefully kind of personable as possible and really bringing that personal side in. Um, and so that helped me a lot to say, okay, look, like at least I towards myself feel this is the thing that, 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 that I was supposed to do in, in that, in that regard. And um, it was an interesting journey. And I think, it made it easier that this is a topic for where for a long time, you know, I, I've, I've always kind of stored content for it, like in, in the, in the back, like in terms of like, Oh, this is interesting. If I ever do something around this, Hey, let's store this. And so I have a lot of folders that were easy to kind of pluck from, but, um, but it was a long journey being honest. And I first wanted to write a completely different book um, about purpose-driven leadership and impact organizations and so on. Um, but then serendipitously, so, you know, out of conversation with friends, we realized, Oh, wow, actually, uh, Serendipity seems to be the, um, the the more interesting book, and and, mm. and we took it from there. Um, but yeah, I'd, I'd obviously be curious. Also, I mean, you've you know obviously been on this journey as, as well. It's kind of it's fascinating, you not know, to to figure out how to overcome those well, kind of questions. Well, yeah, and, and and I think partly like you know this goes back into that mindset. Like if you if you believe good things will happen and opportunities can be created. So like, you know, on my journey of, of finishing my first children's book that, you know, published uh, in May this year, um, I had a, I really, I had an illustrator that I was going to go with and work with him for almost a year or more. And, and for one reason or another, I don't know, he kind of, he kind of flaked out, but that's neither here nor there. But if it wasn't for just that happening, right. I finally was, I, I, it helped me kind of almost, I think, re, um, re-engage in the project because it kept getting delayed, delayed, delayed. And, and then I found another illustrator. We finished the book in six weeks or so, and he was awesome to work with. So I'm using him for my next book. So, I mean, and he's a cool guy and, and very talented. So it's just kind of one of those things. Now, anyone could say, well, it just happened like that. Sure. 
But again, I'm taking the perspective that, hey, this, this was more serendipity. It worked out. It could have worked out a totally different way, but that's how it worked out. And, you know, kind of I'm progressing forward. So I think if we take that mindset going back to that, you really have an opportunity to use it to your advantage, I guess, you know, as, as you're kind of going through these different endeavors in life, you know, okay. I have a, a really tangent question, but it's for very curious and I don't know if, the, if this is part of your doing, if this is maybe the publisher you work with, but how does it work where, because obviously you have some very kind words in there said by Ariana Huffington and Daniel Pink and obviously some prominent folks um, about the book. Does that happen by, because I see this a lot with other books, is that by sending them like an advanced copy and getting their thoughts? Is that just relationships? And I'm, I'm just curious how that happens to get like, you know, some of those quotes and some of those things. Um, and I'm, I'm assuming those probably happened prior to publishing, but I could be wrong. Anyways, more curiosity, just random. I'm thinking about. Yeah. And I think it, it comes back to our conversation that um, I've seen it a lot that it's, it's in a way, both, uh, you know, a relationship building for a long time with, with some people where in a way it's someone, you know, who, who loves the content anyways, and who then says, great, I love the content. Um, hey, I, I'll support it. Um, but also then speculative emails, like to your point, like a, like a Seth Godin um, saying, oh my God, yeah, this is exactly what I, what I find interesting. Um, here, here's something I can do with it. Um, and so, you know, I've seen it in, in, in some cases, and including my own, where it's a mixture between like, like the kind of, you know, having met someone at a conference a couple of years ago, reconnecting and saying, hey, look, there's a common interest here. Um, so, so more the kind of pre-existing relationships. And then at the same time, also, hey, here's the top 100 people I find really inspiring and really interesting. Here's what they're working on. Here's how it relates to the book. And hey, um, do you want a, a, a galley copy of the book? Do you want to have a look? And if you like it, I'd be grateful for any kind of, you know, collaboration. Um, I, I feel like these, like the mixture of those two, um, and and really thinking about it very far in advance, right? It's almost like how when you have a startup, um, you don't want to pitch to the investor for the first time once you have the the, the new venture idea. You ideally you want to build a lot of relationships already so that people know you already, and then you can connect with them. And 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 you know, I, I guess most businesses and most things in the world are based on relationships in some way or the other. And I think the more we can build relationships that are mutually kind of beautiful and meaningful already and um, the more then whenever a project happens it, it, it can work really but but also even if we don't have that and i'm actually a lot of my work is around the question of how do people who don't have pre-existing social capital or pre-existing relationships um how then especially then those speculative emails and speculative things mm -hmm. um play such a big role right because then it is surprising how often really interesting people actually say, Hey, look, love this idea. Seems to be a cool person. Let me do this. And I think now also, you know, being at virtual conferences or soon, hopefully again, real conferences, it's really also, I think just kind of engaging with people because again, a lot of people might not engage with very visible people because they feel, Oh, this is, this is so far away. Um, but rather than just pitching people, it's really about, you know, building a, a, a relationship that both people feel, okay, I'm, I'm really appreciated here versus, you know, obviously, very visible people get a lot of pitches. So I don't mm -hmm. think it's it's all about pitching. It's really about saying, what is it for them at the moment that's interesting? And if I am a Seth Godin who's working on a new project, um, maybe if there's a cool kids book and they do cool stuff around X, Y, Z, like how does that kind of interrelate in a way that also could, could be interesting for him? And I think um, that's the kind of 
what we talked about earlier. Like, how can we always think about um, what really adds value to the other person as well so that, that there is something and it feels a lot of times, oh, like I can't really add value to the person. But then I would always also, you know, I found it valuable to reframe it and say, no, but, you know, maybe the 20-year-old student um, can't really add to a Seth Godin in terms of the, um, you know, concrete things they do at the moment, but maybe they can offer a new perspective if Seth ever wants to ask a 20-year-old kid for their opinion on something. Mm-hmm. The point is that, that that everyone has something to give. And, and I think that's why I, I mentioned that Serendipity Journal earlier to really think about what are the interests, but also, you know, what are the things that, what are the, the, the strengths I can play to? Is there something here that if I am a 15-year-old kid in high school where, yes, theoretically, I don't have a lot of quote-unquote quote unquote, things to offer at this point. But again, I'm the 15-year-old kid who probably is the key target group for most people in the world who try to sell a product or whatever it is. And so it's really reframing it and saying, I actually have a lot to offer. I just have to figure out a way to to package this that actually makes sense to the other person. Yeah. How uh, do you recall when you launched the book, how, what was the time frame when it actually you finished writing, like you were done? And the book was kind of ready, I guess, quote unquote, because maybe there was a some illustration that had happened or what have you. But and then the actual launch date was that a long period of time between those two dates? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I, I think it was a very long time and and um, a very gruesome time. Um, and it depends on, on the publisher, I guess, on how long you know where they stock, how they stock it, and everything else. But mm. um, you know, I. I I think it's also interesting then, you know, uh, from the time you can pre-order books, like how do you make sure that, you know, like people pre-order from the beginning and, and everything else. So, um, yeah. But I think in, in our case, I'm not sure how long exactly it was, but it, it certainly was quite, quite, quite mm-hmm. a long period. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I'm always, again, it's something I'm always, I'm kind of thinking about just like, yeah, what's the time frame from launch and is there a right way? And, you know, there's a lot of questions around that. That's a, that's for, that's for a different conversation probably. Um, let me ask you this here and, uh, and we can kind of start wrapping up, but I always like you to think about, you know, if some, so if someone else is starting off, let's say someone's listening and they're starting anything, right. And they're, they're, they're trying to get into something new, break into it. Is there a piece of advice, um, an insight could be a quote that you live by something you would share with them to really kick them into gear, um, to get started. Um, anything kind of, I like to, you know, kind of say if you had a post-it note, they can stick on their computer screen, you know, look at every day. What, what would you share with them um, to move forward? Only two things. One is get out there. Like there's there's only so much we can theoretically think about in terms of, oh, like this is the five steps of building X, Y, Z. This is, you know, if you do a product, like this is the product, how it could ideally look like. My first step would always be saying, hey, who are the key people in this in this area that are really inspiring? And how can I develop like beautiful relationships with them now so that I can kind of iterate with them around these questions. Um, you know, I see that a lot also in, in, in academic research, right? When you're a young researcher, again, you don't think you can offer a lot to a very senior person, but actually a senior person is a lot of times just interested in hearing new ideas and engaging with young people. And so I feel the first step really is to not assume that an idea or, or whatever has to be perfect before you start, because then you'll never do anything but actually to really just kind of say, this is the minimum viable product that seems to make sense or the minimum viable idea, like in terms of, hey, I feel I can speak about this now. And then really, you know, connecting with people, talking with as many people as possible, also talking with unexpected people, the very inspiring ones, but also the neighbor, the 
you know, the, whatever type of people. So just kind of getting the ball rolling. And I feel like that dynamism, that a lot of times, you know how every idea usually starts somewhere, but it ends up somewhere completely different. And right. it's, it's really like that's the, dyna- like the dynamic you want to get started as soon as possible to say, just get out there and, and start speaking with people about it because it will anyways lead you uh, to, to probably something completely different. Um, but, but you want to have that momentum. And then second, I think, comes back to, to Viktor Frankl. Um, he had this beautiful philosophy that we cannot always like pick the situation we're in, but we can always pick our response to it. And that's where our freedom is. That's where our creativity is. That's where, in a way, serendipity is. And so I'm a big fan of really saying, hey, look, every situation in life, and that's not easy, right? In the moment, a lot of situations feel really shit, like really bad, like really kind of, oh my God, life is over, right? Let's say you have a breakup with a girlfriend you've been together for, for quite some time and you felt this is the one person I always wanted to be with and you break up. And in the moment, it feels like the end of life, right? But in my case, for example, I had that situation, but that then led me to now like marrying the woman where I'm like, oh my God, this is, this is the person, right? And, and so the, per- the point is that if you reflect on the incidences in life that are really beautiful, a lot of times if you really trace them back, you will see... That, that there was some kind of hardship somewhere that had to happen so that you could actually get to that point. So it's almost mm-hmm. like the reverse of what we talked about at the beginning, right? That mm-hmm. it's, it's almost like also negative moments in a way can then be the start of something beautiful. And, and right. the one saying, you know, you asked for a quote, I, I always love that, that quote or that idea that if you want a happy ending, don't stop the, the, the story too early. Because if you stop the story too early, you won't get that happy ending. If after a breakup, you just sit at home and do nothing, like you will stay single, right? Versus if you, if you go out or if you didn't get that one investor um, investment or something, you know, if you stop it too early, that's it. But maybe now it leads you to actually someone who's really the fit uh, as an investor. And so um, I, I feel it's really also starting to trust into that idea that at the end of the day, when people say no or when life says no to something, Maybe there's a reason for it, and that reason isn't about self-worth of yourself, but that, that actually is more about fit, more about, you know, misunderstanding whatever it is. But but that usually means there's something even better out there or something even um, better in the sense of a better fit. Well, in those experiences you go through, like, you know, I was even thinking when you were giving some of those examples, like getting laid off, like getting laid off from a company years back propelled me to get hired at a company where... Um, the, the, the founder of the company, um, and his wife's awesome too. They both, you know, co they, they found the company together, but Rob has been one of my mentors for seven years, one of the most influential people in my life. And if I don't get laid off from that job and, and go to his company, I don't meet him. So I think it's one of those things is the pain that, that hardship, we go through that in life and some of us have it way worse than others. But going through that pain is actually a good thing because it kind of almost sets the tone of where, okay, where can we propel from here and, and get to a different level? Um, at least gives us maybe some opportunity to rethink of where we're at. Like, what was that even good to be at that job if they're laying me off, you know, like that type of thing? So I think it can almost kind of reshuffle and, and get us back to par. Um, at least my, I guess that's my, my thought on it. I won't put words in your mouth, but that's, that's how I think about it. So Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that's, you know, when you really reflect on, that's also what comes, uh, you know, in my own life, I've had that with startups, right? Where in a way, I don't know, we had startups that we tried to set up in the financial crisis and that had like, that forced us to rethink the model, which turned out then to be the best thing that could have happened to us because we anyways would have had to do that uh, a, a couple of years in mm-hmm. um, or, you know, 
uh, in our research, when you look at really interesting kind of people who really, you know, made something in life, uh, a lot of times when you when you try to trace back where X was that interesting idea or something started, it, it, it a lot of times comes out of hardship. And so to exactly your point, it's it's in a way saying, hey, look, um, let's, you know, accept like that moment. And of course, we all feel pain and we all feel um, um, in those kind of moments emotional about it. And then saying, okay, but is there still something in there? And that's why I would really recommend the Viktor Frankl's message for meaning, because it's about saying, I mean, he was in a concentration camp, which, as you can imagine, is the toughest of situations you can ever imagine. Mm -hmm. And he still, he said, you know what? I will still take my response to this. I will not be have someone take completely my dignity away. So what I will do is I will still talk with other fellow prisoners every day to make them feel better. And by doing this, actually, it gives me meaning now because now I have a reason to wake up tomorrow morning because I can make that other person feel better. And, and I think that's kind of something where, you know, that, that meaning comes in where we're saying, oh, actually, there's always some kind of meaning in here, even if we have to create part of this or, or, or figure out where, where it could lie in there. But um, I think that's coming back to our initial point, right, that serendipity a lot of times is about making accidents meaningful or making crises meaningful. And I think that's um, where a lot of this probably goes. Mm-hmm. Christian, this has been a lot of fun. What What are you excited? Anything uh, you'd share? You're excited about anything you're working on right now? Any projects? I've dedicated my next years to say, hey, look, I've seen this mindset work. I've seen it work myself. I've seen it work um, around me. So how can I, you know, go and have high school kids in a way help, you know, have them turn anxiety towards the unexpected because there's so much change, so much stuff happening out there. Like with this mindset, it feels like, hey, great, like. It, it at least like relieves a little bit of that kind of anxiety and a little bit of that kind of like feeling that we have to um, somehow. Uh, sorry, that's the uh, hey, reminder that's, of hey, that's real time. That's how hey, that's how it works. No worries. <laughs> uh, but 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 you know, so so really kind of um, taking this content into as many different types of contexts as I can, especially with those people where it feels oh wow, it can really you know help with anxiety or in resource constrained environments, it can help with kind of reframing resources and, and really thinking about how can we do that differently. And a lot of my work is in, in sub-Saharan Africa, especially, and I feel mm. it's so fascinating to see how much we can learn from those contexts and the sense of how people who have nothing reframe, right? They look at a, at a former drug dealer, this one organization I work with, they look at a former drug dealer and instead of saying, oh my God, this person, um, you know, is a former drug dealer, they say, wow, this person has amazing social capital. This person is extremely resourceful and creative. If we can turn them into a teacher, there's so much like we can legitimize like a whole way of, of life because now it's cool to be a teacher. Or they look at an old garage and they see a training center and those kind of things where it's, you know, really saying to what we talked about initially, reframing, reframing away from resources, budgets and all these kind of things to how can we still find something in this situation? So I'm very excited about those kind of um, you know, especially our research in, in those kind of contexts um, of resource constraints, because people there are so resourceful, so creative, and a lot we can learn from. Awesome. And if, if anyone wants to say hello to you online, where's the best spot to connect? Probably Twitter. Uh, I'm at Chris Serendip, and then the homepage is serendipitymindset.com. Awesome. Christian, this is awesome, man. Thank you so much for joining and uh, really enjoyed the conversation. Thanks so much for having me.
Well, I hope you all enjoyed that great interview, and thanks again for stopping by. And if you had a couple seconds before you run along on your day, if you wouldn't mind sharing this out to your audience, whatever social platform you're on, maybe leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or any other podcast platform that you listen to, it certainly mean the world to me. I've grown this thing organically over the last four years, and it just gives another opportunity for someone to listen to an episode like this or others and hopefully inspire them to get started on their journey. And feel free to connect with me online. I love meeting new people. Uh, My website might be best, brianondraco.com. Drop me a note in the contact form. Or connect with me on any social platform. I'm pretty much at brianondraco on all the major ones. So thanks again to listening in on this episode. I hope you have a great day, a phenomenal week, and we'll talk to you soon. Take care. Mm -hmm.